from Moby.co, this is The Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces shaping the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time a solo episode. Unfortunately, we had some scheduling difficulties here at the Moby.co team, and only I'm available here to get you the updates you need for the market. So our analysts can't join us, so you just get the journalism side of the equation. It's all cereal, no marshmallows today, folks, but there's still enough going on in the market that we felt like it was important to get y'all an update in terms of where the market is going with AI, how various companies are performing in this new year of efficiency, and where the market is headed given the Fed's decision this week and the CPI coming next week. So let's just go ahead and get into it. There's been some wild updates recently in AI that we want to jump off with. Today, a new report came out where basically a senior Google member essentially stated that they have no moat when it comes to large language models because Google, Meta, all of these companies that are developing sort of restricted large language models are just going to constantly get caught up by the open source market. So the major question we have for AI moving forward is A, how do you actually make money off of what is ultimately a very expensive process? And B, what businesses are actually in danger? when it comes to AI. Now, the main thing with Google and Microsoft having these huge AI pushes is they have giant platforms that can utilize AI and maybe make a little bit of money in terms of like establishing AI search and making an AI-first product, but maybe it's within actual optimizations where AI is going to be more successful. This week, we got some really solid updates from Uber where they're using AI to actually make their core rideshare product almost their most important product again. Uber has basically just been Uber Eats with a couple of accoutrements for the past, like, two years. But now, thanks to what Uber is claiming to be AI strength, basically remodeling how their rides are found and how their drivers are routed, they've managed to massively increase their cost per ride, and now Uber stock is up over 17% on the week. We're not quite ready to initiate a whole new position in Uber. We're still kind of waiting and seeing how this AI stuff plays out. But right now, the major way it seems to be making money in the AI space, well, it just happens to be optimizing your current business. We're seeing the same deal over, actually, in the pharmaceutical space with AstraZeneca posting a really interesting earnings report where they are actually using AI to help develop very complicated molecules for their new ADC technology. That's antibody drug conjugate, which are basically just cancer-seeking missiles. If you want to hear more about that, we actually have a whole report on AstraZeneca. We've added them to our pharma portfolio. You can find that over at app.mobi.co or if you want to sign up and get a free trial, you can hit us up at mobi.co slash go. Make sure you try us out there. We've got some really interesting analysis in the pharma space. But Uber and AstraZeneca are kind of like the latest examples of the meta model, which is using AI to basically re-optimize your entire internal business. All these algorithmic plays are now saying they're AI plays. Now, maybe this is just a PR move to juice recent efficiencies that have happened in the market, but since we're seeing it at Uber, at AstraZeneca, and at Meta, it's good to talk about and see the actual ways we make money. Because right now, if we go back to Google, there's no sort of full-force search product that's making a lot of money that utilizes AI to make search more effective, making the actual customer-facing AI make money, right? In reality, customer-facing AI appears to be only making folks lose money because this week we also saw the very first company actually take a huge L thanks to AI, and that was Chegg.com. Chegg came out with earnings earlier in the week that showed they were massively missing revenue expectations and massively reducing guidance for Q2 on the back of the fact that there's just not a lot of users in Chegg right now because Chegg 
as an educational services company is actually in direct competition with ChatGPT. ChatGPT isn't good for a lot of things right now, but it's a really, really good homework helper. You can get maybe like 80% of your Moby Dick paper written by using ChatGPT to help you research and help you find new points. So the educational space is going to see a lot of disruption, but frankly, this is also Che kind of taking an L on the managerial side. Like this feels like a situation where the executive team should point out, well, this is how we're using AI to actually optimize our business, not say this is how AI is killing our business. That feels like a really huge misstep, which led to Chegg's valuation getting actually cut in half this week, folks. It ended the week more in the 40% down range, but like a wild flight of value from the stock that didn't necessarily need to happen. Again, the market is making all these AI reports out of a single slate of earnings calls, right? We didn't hear a lot about AI and Q4 earnings, but now we're hearing it in basically every company's earnings calls. They say AI is optimizing their business. So to understand how AI is actually you know, impacting operations, it's really important for us to see both the positive and negative narratives across maybe two to three more earnings calls. And we need a whole year of data to see what's the head fake and what isn't, right? So we're trying to stick to core business stuff with our actual analysis while we figure out who's really winning this AI race. But it's going to be very interesting to see how AI develops. We keep getting more and more reports that Google just keeps falling further and further behind despite having perhaps better models in the first place, while Microsoft is just surging ahead, especially with a new partnership with AMD that shot AMD stock up nearly 10% as they begin developing AI chips. So some dizzying updates in the AI space, which are very exciting to see, but we need a lot more information before we can really say where the market is actually going. This is definitely a situation where AI news is creating more volatility than value right now. And so as investors, it's really important that you don't overfall for the hype, right? But regardless, there's still really amazing moves actually happening in the market now, too. For instance, Shopify has done one of the wildest 180s we have ever seen in the history of covering tech companies. Last year, Shopify tried to bulk up really badly to actually fully take on Amazon. If you don't know who Shopify is, they are a brilliant Canadian software-as-a-services company that basically is the back-end for independent e-commerce shop. They are the place you go to make a website, to make a shop, to sell stuff during the D2C revolution. They grew brilliantly on the back of D2C companies basically being able to pop up overnight and become profitable thanks to Facebook, Google, YouTube ads, right? And they were suffering a lot because obviously commerce shut down in 2020 and then inflation made things even worse. But in between, Shopify tried to use the mania of 2021, all the money that was flying around the market, to bulk themselves up in a way that they could actually take on every aspect of Amazon's e-commerce business. That is, Shopify tried to become a logistics powerhouse as well as a warehouse management powerhouse. All of those companies were acquired at very expensive points in the market. And then, of course, the bottom fell out of the market with inflation last year, basically causing Shopify stock to spend the last year in the wilderness. That period appeared to end last week for Shopify as their earnings call basically announced we're going full efficiency. Shopify cut 20% of their staff and is spinning most of their logistics and warehouse management place just to focus on their core product, which came at the exact same time that Shopify announced they had beat earnings expectations massively. Shopify stock is up 25% on the week and only climbing from here, and we're really excited to sort of dig through Shopify's pivot to efficiency. And so if 
efficiency is always going to be that big narrative we keep following. It's amazing that we're still seeing profits come out of these large tech companies while they're becoming more and more efficient. And we don't even see this as like a long-term risk moving forward should the market shift into more bull territory. What's exciting for us, honestly, is seeing companies double down on what actually makes them value and have their core products drive the bus, so to speak. So Shopify going back to pure play e-commerce is brilliant, and we're going to be doing a full analysis on Shopify next week. So again, check us out over at app.mobi.co more in the middle of the week or get a free trial from mobi.co slash go. We're doing a lot more in the app itself when it comes to long-term research, and we'd love it if you joined us there. But as we move forward, it's really important for us to find these moments where we can see these efficiency plays, right? Because the major theme to remember is we're still in a very big moment of uncertainty. And so finding these companies who are making themselves efficient so they can make money both now and technically later is really good. We saw in 2021 how fast these companies can bulk up if they absolutely need to. It's just these companies bulked up so hard thinking we were right back in a bull run after 2020 that when the inflation wall hit around about November 2021, everyone got caught off guard and everyone had to shift to this year of efficiency model that's only really coming to fruition right now. But that kind of gets us into, again, volatility being the thing that rules right now. Obviously, the main thing driving that is continued fears in the regional banking space, which have once again just been bouncing all over the place. First Republic finally bit the dust on Monday, getting acquired by JP Morgan, which is once again adding to our concerns about consolidation in the larger banking space. But that just wasn't enough to sort of like declare the crisis over, despite the fact that Jamie Dimon literally said this part of the crisis is over. We saw that PacWest was sort of like the next man up in terms of the sick bank that's going to get absolutely shellacked by shareholders leaving. Despite the fact that PacWest kept reassuring shareholders that their deposits were up since March, the market just wasn't buying it. And pure fear drove the stock down over the first half of the week and then all the way into the floor once news broke that PacWest was considering a sale on Wednesday. Since then, regional banking stocks have rebounded back up a little bit, stabilizing as other companies showed good earnings, but it's just an honestly wild time in the banking space, right? Especially with a new pressure being added to the banking space in the form of Apple. Apple also reported earnings on Thursday, showing really great iPhone growth, really great revenue growth, which is great, but the thing that Apple is really doing is disrupting the banking industry with their 4.15% savings account, which is forcing every bank everywhere to up their interest rates for various accounts. So if I upped their interest rate for the savings accounts to 420, nice, amongst a bunch of other banks, even the big banks like Morgan Stanley are having their money market accounts go above 4% after years where banks were offering interest rates of less than 1%, even less than one half of 1%. It is a complete paradigm shift happening now in a period where there's already pressure on the banking industry. And the question is, how long is this going to last? And is there anybody else who's going to get hurt by all of this pressure? It's something our analyst team is watching really closely, but there's no like real threats to like a credit crunch happening right now. It just means that banks are taking a temporary hit on their margins as Apple builds their customer base and sort of maintains their fintech dominance. But a really interesting move, a really baller move by Apple. Again, the world's most valuable company. They have an astonishing amount of cash. They can do this for a long time. And the question is, how long are other banks going to try to keep up? And how will this make the market move overall? Really exciting time, especially since we haven't even gotten to Apple's WWDC event, which is hitting in June, where we might get into Apple's actual product hype cycle. And on top of all of that, banking fears were really kept alive last week as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates another quarter of percent on their 25 basis points. But Jerome Powell did something really interesting, right, where he basically said that future decisions about policy 
policy firming are going to be done kind of on a month-by-month basis. The Federal Reserve sees the banking industry as robust and sound, and SVB being an outlier, right? And this may very well be the last time we raise interest rates, depending on where inflation goes. So as we watch the market this upcoming week, one of the biggest reports we're going to see is this week's CPI report, which hits on Wednesday. We're really eager to see the results of that report, especially because this CPI probably should have been way higher, given that OPEC was trying to increase the price of oil by limiting production. Those oil price gains did not happen. In fact, the price of oil went down over the last month, getting back to lows that we hadn't seen since before OPEC raised prices, and almost half the price oil was at peak back in June of 2021. So energy is obviously not going to be a big driver for inflation, but what we want to see as well is other aspects of the market finally, you know, reducing their price as well. Because despite all of this happening, we're seeing that labor is still robust. Labor is the other major contributor to inflation, right? If people are making more money, they're going to buy more things. That's going to drive prices up and keep inflation alive. Part of the Fed's dual mandate is kind of secretly trying to keep unemployment as high as possible. That has not happened during this interest rates rise. Yes, a lot of high earners lost their jobs during these efficiency calls at big tech, but there are other areas of the economy that are still recovering from 2020 that are now recovering in a big way and jobs are being gained there. But the interesting thing is, is that on average, a lot of those jobs are lower income. So maybe these forces balance out and help bring inflation down further. To give you an idea here, ADP came out last week a little bit slower than anticipated, but not as bad as last month, whereas non-farm payrolls came in a lot higher than expected. But again, average wages are still going down a little bit month over month, which should help take a little bit of pressure off the inflation question, despite the fact that, you know, with higher inflation, people really do need to make more money to keep up. It's a very interesting and delicate balancing act. So the CPI this week is going to be absolutely critical, and we really need to see things besides energy start driving the bus in terms of bringing things lower. We need to see more than energy and used car prices, sorry, Carvana, bring inflation down. We need to see food inflation decrease, shelter inflation decrease, and more broad scope services bring inflation prices down so that we know that the Fed's process is working because we are still very much in the moment of truth. I know everyone in the media keeps saying, ah, it's definitely going to be a recession. The Fed's gone too far. It's terrible. But there is still a small yet growing chance the Fed might pull this off and get us that soft landing, right? And the more sort of efficient plays we see, the more companies are growing revenue with smaller teams and the more they can maintain this efficiency, there's still plenty of gains to grab despite the fact we're in a period of uncertainty until about, you know, the end of the year this year. So we're very excited to see how that all plays out. But as we find AI disruptions and as we find efficiency plays and as we find the various market forces pushing the market either towards recession or towards just like slow growth for, you know, two to three more quarters, we are still finding a lot of companies that are able to win in this environment and therefore a lot of gains to be made. And that's going to be our main perspective. So this week, you're going to see us talk about how the travel industry is going to recover a lot as well. We're very excited to take you through all the various areas of travel that are doing doing pretty okay. We're going to start off with airlines, then we're going to get into software again. We're going to be talking about Shopify. And then this week is also a big week for automotive earnings. We're going to be watching Toyota and Honda closely to see how other auto companies are keeping up as Tesla, GM, and Ford really start changing the paradigm with EV production, right? Obviously, GM is a very interesting play as well that we're crunching the numbers on after they had a fairly blockbuster earnings report last week. But there's still a lot to cover as we sort of uncover what is happening in this market and how the economy is evolving 
evolving in this new paradigm as the Fed begins the slow process of maybe stopping these rate hikes and potentially thinking about reducing interest rates, letting the money machine flow a little better moving forward. Regardless, that's a pretty good place to end it. We're going to keep these shorter because, again, it is just one guy lecturing at you. So not a full 30-minute episode of the podcast, God willing, but at the same time, I hope it was information-dense. If you listened all the way to this point, audience, I would love to know what you think about these solo episodes. Can you tolerate a single person just yakking at you for you know, 25 minutes straight? Or would you prefer if we just find other folks to talk to and make sure it's more of a conversation? Again, we want to make sure we are making the best possible product for you, our brilliant and probably beautiful audience. So I will always take whatever feedback I can. That feedback can come over at helloatmobi.co, hit us up in our Discord, or just tweet at us. I mean, it's all good by me. We really appreciate your time. That's a pretty solid place to end it. So just, you know, audience, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr, for moby.co. All of the intellectual value of this podcast comes from our brilliant analyst team, which is headed up by usually my conversation partner, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co, Justin Kramer. Again, if you have any questions for us, you can hit us up at hello at Moby.co. If you want to see more of our daily perspective, check us out on both TikTok and Instagram, as well as sign up for our email newsletter, which again is our sort of daily pulse check for these kinds of emails. We really want to give you as much information as possible so you can make the best informed decisions as you navigate this new and very complicated market. Regardless, audience, that's a pretty good place to end it, so we really appreciate your time, and as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.